Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Sean Higgins. He's the Competitive Enterprise Institute Research Fellow specializing in labor and employment issues. We're going to catch up on what's happening on the strikes around the United States. Dr. Zudi Jasser is the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. We'll be talking about... Uh, Islamic Jihad. Clerk Crystal Kenzel will be joining us as well. She's our clerk of courts here in Cuyahoga County. And Jim McTegg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of Murder Mysteries, he'll be joining us as well. It is September the 25th, and on this day in 1965, the Kansas City Athletics started ageless wonder Satchel Page in a game against the Boston Red Sox. The 59-year-old Page, a Negro League legend, proved his greatness once again by giving up only one hit in three innings of play. Leroy Page was born on July the 7th, 1906, in Mobile, Alabama. Page's family changed the spelling of the last name to Page, Pete with an I, to differentiate themselves from John Page, his absent and abusive father. Satchel got his nickname as a boy while working as a luggage carrier at Mobile train station. When he was 12, his constant truancy, coupled with the shoplifting incident, got him sent to industrial school for Negro children in Mount Miggs, Alabama, <clears throat> Turns out to be a lucky break, as it was all there that uh, Page learned to pitch. After leaving the school, he turned pro. By the way, uh, Babe Ruth also got to a, sent to a school like this uh, in his early days to help him get a start in base. It helped him get a start in baseball as well. It's kind of ironic. From 1927 to 1948, Page served as baseball's equivalent of a hired gun. He pitched for any team in the United States or abroad that could afford him. He was the highest-paid pitcher of his time and wowed crowds with the speed of his fastball, his trick pitches, and his considerable bravado. Just for fun, Page would sometimes call in, in his outfield and then strike out the side. From 1939 to 42, the Kansas City Monarchs paid up for his services and were justly rewarded. Page led the team to four consecutive Negro League uh, pennants from 1939 to 42. In 1942, the Negro League World Series, Satchel won three games in a four-game sweep of the Homestead Grays, led by famed slugger Josh Gibson. Page's contract was bought by Bill Veck. He was always a promoter. The Cleveland Indians on uh, July the 7th, 1948, his 42nd birthday. He made his Major League debut two ba la days later, entering in the fifth inning against the St. Louis Browns with the Guardians trailing 4-1. to one. He gave up two singles and two innings, striking out one man and inducing one man into hit into a double play. The Guardians lost the game 5-3 to three in spite of Page's contribution. That year, Satchel Page went 6-1 and one with a solid 2.48 ERA for the world champion Cleveland Guardians as was named to the American League's baseball all-star team for the American League in 52-53. and 53. When he was 46 and 47 years old, respectively. Can you believe that? Most re baseball players retire sometimes in their late 30s, sometimes earlier. 
On September the 25th, 1965, Page pitched three innings for the Kansas City Athletics, making him at 59 years, two months, and 18 days the oldest pitcher ever to play a game in the major leagues. Before the game, Page sat in the bullpen in a rocking chair with a nurse rubbing liniment in his pitching arm for the entire crowd to see. Any doubt about Page's ability was put to rest when he set down each of the Red Sox batters for his, uh, he faced except for Carl Yastrzemski, who hit a double. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Arguably the greatest pitcher of his era, Page was inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame in 1971. He died in 1982. About his age, he once opined, it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. (laughs) Satchel Page, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Well, back to reality. Stocks fell uh, Friday, capping off the S&P 500s and NASDAQ's worst week since March as investors wait to see another lawmaker, how lawmakers uh, manage the whole situation of the government, uh, possibility of the government shutting down. Uh, Futures are... I'm going to say neutral to a little bit down right now, so we'll see how this plays out today. Democrat Senator Bob Menendez, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, is facing federal charges for allegedly corrupt foreign relations. Menendez and his wife Nadine are accused of wielding his political influence to benefit three New Jersey businessmen, as well as pushing the U.S. to send hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to Egypt in exchange for bribes. Prosecutors indict them both uh, yesterday for conspiracy to commit bribery, honest services fraud, and extortion. Sounds so familiar to the Biden family, doesn't it? Both vehemently deny any wrongdoing, but according to federal prosecutors, a raid on the Menendez home and safe deposit box revealed more than $550,000 in stashed cash, 81.5 ounces of gold bars, and a Mercedes-Benz convertible, all believed to be bribes, Nadine texted an Egyptian official, official, and here's a quote, Anytime you need anything, you just uh, you have my number and we will make it happen, make everything happen, she texted. After returning from a trip to Egypt in uh, 2021, Menendez searched the web for how, to make, how much is one kilo of gold worth, Run it back, having uh, dodged different corruption charges back in 2015, Menendez is the first sitting senator to be indicted twice on separate criminal charges. He's up for re-election in 2024 and has agreed to step down as head of the Foreign Relations Committee temporarily. New Jersey Governor, a fellow Democrat, called for him to resign uh, from the Senate. Uh, he's a, a very obstinate and will not do that. It's, it's very apparent. He's going to go through the entire process, as he did last time. He got tried and uh, got off on a technicality, as I recall. Anyhow, he got off. And by the way, is there a coincidence here that it's happening? Biden would uh, like an uncompliance Menendez to step out of the chairmanship of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and uh, get him off. Uh, get somebody who's more compliant. It also appears to uh, give the appearance of uh, uh, nonpartisanship to the Department of Justice. So I think there's, I can't, just politics mixed up in this whole thing. Well, House Republicans will begin debate this week on four separate funding bills headed for of a looming September the 30th deadline to avert a federal government shutdown. The bills, only part of a 12-annual appropriations bill, cover the defense, agriculture, homeland security, and the State Department's. Negotiations to, to date have been entirely been 
held within the House GOP conference with a slim 221 to 212 seat advantage in the chamber and needing a simple majority to pass the bill. At least seven conservative lawmakers have told Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, that he will, they will oppose any short-term sp- uh, stopgap funding measure, as they should. The bloc has instead pushed for consideration of each individual spending bill, a promise McCarthy made during his run for Speaker, along with the deeper spending cuts and other provisions. Any bills would require approval from the Democratic-controlled Senate. So as you can see, this process could have started months ago. It didn't, and the consequences, as usual, were in the 11th hour in trying to figure out how to make this happen. <clears throat> well, Florida Governor uh, Republican uh, Matt Getz or Gates, I guess that's pronounced, sparred with uh, Fox News host Maria Bartiromo on Sunday over the impeachment probe of uh, President Joe Biden and the potential government shutdown. It was fantastic. First time I've ever seen Maria Bartiromo on her heels. She was sputtering and uh, because Gats just handled it so beautifully. She said in her opening monologue on Sunday Morning Futures that Gets was disrupting the Republican wins by standing against the stopgap funding measures. If you're saying that I'm standing in the way of all Republicans' wins, I'd love you to enumerate them, Gets said in part of the interview. In the interview, Bartiromo asked Getz whether he was indirectly working with Democrats by allowing Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to create a stopgap funding resolution. Bartiromo also told Getz that because he's not supporting House Republicans' temporary government funding measures, that's why some people feel that this is a personal vendetta you have against the Speaker. Traditionally, the House moves first on spending bills, which senators are now working to keep the government funded because House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has not been able to secure 218 votes to move forward with a temporary funding measure. Without any action, the government is set to shut down on October the 1st. Oh, my goodness, the sky is falling. Now, remember, the government shut down uh, private enterprise for a couple of years and uh, seemed didn't have the, any loss of conscience about any of that. But uh, for some reason, people are making a big deal about this. My vendetta, said uh, Getz, is against the Washington system that allows corruption to put the interests of lobbyists and PACs above the interests of the American people. He responded, Kevin McCarthy facilitates that system, and I do deeply resent that, but I'm not working with Chuck Schumer or any other Democrat. I'm the one working with the House conservatives. Bartiromo suggested that Getz's actions would harm the investigation into Biden. Tell me why you're threatened, threatening Speaker McCarthy and trying to shut down the government at a time the Republicans have finally gotten some upper hands here in terms of wins, able to investigate Biden on what, uh, what looks like bribery, she said. I don't, we don't put our pencils down in the investigation of President Biden during a shutdown, he responded. So the premise is false, certainly is. Second, if Kevin McCarthy were actually serious about pursuing the Bidens, he would have sent Hunter Biden a subpoena by now. That's how you know the sort of failure th- theater that you're observing. Getz has butted heads with McCarthy since the Republicans entered the House majority early this year. He has opposed McCarthy's bid to be House Speaker until finally voting present. He said he was doing a good job in February, but not so much right now, as you can see. Uh, And uh, all he's doing, and I'm talking about Getz, is holding his feet to the fire for what he promised the American people back in February when he was elected Speaker. Well, post-ABC polls show that uh, Biden is trailing Trump by 10 points. A Washington uh, Post-ABC poll show finds 
uh, President Biden struggling to gain approval from skeptical public, which with dissatisfaction growing over his handling of the economy and immigration, rising shares say the Amer- United States is doing too much to aid Ukraine and in war with Russia and, and broad concerns about his age as he seeks a second term. Biden and former President Donald Trump appear headed for a rematch for their 2020 contest, although more than three in five Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents say that they would prefer a nominee other than the president. But Biden's advisors have argued that he's the strongest Democrat for 2024, and those who wish for someone else to share no consensus on what he, who that should be, with 8% naming Vice President Harris, good golly, 8% naming Senator, Senator Bernie Sanders, the communist, and 20% saying they'd prefer just someone else. So upward hill, uphill climb for Joe Biden. Uh, I suspect something's going to happen in the Democrat National Convention. They'll probably pull a rabbit out of the hat and uh, come up with a new candidate. Many are saying Michelle Obama. <laughs> what a travesty that would be, huh? This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Sean Higgins. He's from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. 
or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center. It's going to be done in 2024. You can find out more and get tickets to some great performances. Visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Right now, we have with us Sean Higgins. He's a competitive enterprise institute research fellow specializing in labor and employment issues. Sean, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Sean. Tell us about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We're a nonprofit free market think tank located in Washington, D.C. Terrific organization and doing a lot of really important work. We're grateful for your contributions. So I wanted to speak to you specifically about some of the strikes that are going on. And let's start off with the Screenwriters Guild. I understand they settled the strike yesterday? It looks as though there is a settlement, yeah. The major studio and the union heads got together. Apparently it was Bob Iger who... Is the person running Disney now who uh, was able to hammer out the final terms of the negotiated deal. So that's good news, I guess, because uh, (laughs) the consequence of this strike is apparently that even some of these talk shows aren't having shows because because they have the screenwriters are contracted to uh, to write their materials. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been a strange controversy where, for example, um, the actress Drew uh, Barrymore has a podcast show. And she's been trying to continue to do the show on the theory that, well, it doesn't really have writers, it's just spontaneous conversation. And that's actually been like a, a controversial issue in Hollywood. It, 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 you know, it is appalling to understand or why that would be controversial, but nevertheless, uh, I'm sure they'll get it settled. The big strike, of course, the United Auto Workers, uh, uh, the president, uh, Biden, is going to go and march with the workers in uh, Detroit. President uh, Trump on the 27th during the debate is going to go there and give a speech to the United Auto Workers, much to the chagrin of the uh, of the uh, chiefs of the auto workers. Just wonder if you could give us an update. Yeah, uh, this one is uh, slightly escalating. Um, but the thing to understand is that most of the auto workers aren't actually on strike. They're only doing these sort of partial walkouts at a handful of um, factories. Yeah. Um, General Motors has about a dozen factories uh, in the U.S. producing domestic cars, only one or two of them are actually currently involved in uh, the strikes at the moment. Um, and this is a very unusual strategy because usually unions, um, it's an all-or-nothing thing when they go on strike. So, uh, But they are increasing the number of, of factories that they are walking out of, so we're seeing a slight ratcheting up of this. Basically, they're trying, the union is trying to create as much disruption for the management as they can without having having to go to a full strike, which means that they're going to have to deplete their strike fund, the money that they give to workers to, um, in lieu of the pay that they get from the management, because they don't think they can do that for a very long time. Well, there are some unintended consequences, as I understand it, some of these, because there are some, some workers that aren't working, uh, they're actually closing down other shops in order to, uh, because they don't have any work to do, they're not getting a, a product to, to move on in the process. Yeah, I mean, that's one of these sort of 
the ripple effect of these things is that, I mean, it's it's a, an auto assembly thing is a, is a chain, um, metaphorically speaking. And if you know one part is closed off, another part down the line may have uh, similar problems. And that's kind of the strategy behind the strike. Um, again, it's not a full strike, so it's not a complete shutdown. The, the companies are still actually manufacturing cars, but they're um, trying to throw a monkey wrench into the works, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Sean, I mean, the uh, the the uh, I thought when I first saw the proposal, like a f- over forty percent increase in pay over the course of four years, a four day work week, and you can go on and on. I mean, the the uh, demands from the union were just seemed outrageous. Have they been modified at all uh, during the course of the talks? Yeah, they have. Um, they've walked away, or not walked away, but they've they've signaled that they're not they're not um, going to demand the four day work week. Um, and they've lowered their pay request from about 40% to, to in the mid-30s range. Uh, the uh, ma- manufacturers are offering about 20% as currently, is, is my understanding. Um, you know, it's, it's like any negotiation. You, um, you walk in, you don't come, you don't put your final offer f- uh, up first. You make a, your initial offers of what your sort of dream request, uh, and you start from there. And so while it seems outrageous, you have to understand this is negotiation. They don't actually expect to get the things they're demanding or all the things they're demanding. So interesting. And Sean, this is all happening in the midst of what I, you know, a, a whole idea of con- creative destruction going on here. I mean, right. I understand that, 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 for example, in one plant, they're producing thousands of engines, uh, internal combustion engines, with like four or five, six workers in the plant. Yeah, I mean, automation has really changed Detroit quite a bit, and we're seeing, you know, the further effects of that. Um, You know, the transition to EV vehicles, electronic vehicles, is going to require even fewer workers um, than than traditionally, and that's one of the sort of issues at the heart of this uh, strike. The union is trying to sort of prevent prevent that from happening to the extent that they can. And as long as 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 we're making the transition... They're just not the the companies just aren't going to need the jobs. So are they just going to be paying people to do less work? I mean, who knows? We'll we'll see when we'll see what the ultimate results of the uh, negotiations are. So just taking a step back, isn't it's kind of counterintuitive to think that they're making these high demands at a at a point in time where their jo- jobs seem to be less important. Well, um, yes, but at the same time, you have to remember we're in a t- we're an extraordinarily tight labor market right now. The unemployment rate is about 3.7% currently, yeah. um, which is historically low. I mean, uh, there was a time not that long ago when 5% was considered to be functional full employment. Um, so you, so labor has, uh, or they believe they have, a much stronger hand right now because, um, you know, employers are, are just hurting to hire people and they don't want to lose them, yeah. more to the point, once, they, once you have them. And there's still a lot of positions that are going unfilled. So they feel that uh, workers have a stronger hand at this point due to the other sort of factors of the economy. The final question, Sean, is uh, Elon Musk the big winner here in these negotiations? <laughs> um, you know, uh, that, that's an interesting question. I've been focused mostly on the direct players in this. It's possible that um, he's doing some three-dimensional chess where he's going to come out on, on top on this. But um, as with all things with uh, Mr. Musk, uh, don't uh, 
don't predict anything until it actually happens. <laughs> Fair enough. Again, Sean Hagen's Competitive Enterprise uh, Research Fellow specializing in labor and employment issues. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, CEI.org, CEI.org. Sean, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is the founder and president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser. Dr. Jasser, in many ways, is one of my heroes. Uh, he's a, a medical doctor. He's also the founder and president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Dr. Jasser, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's great to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Jasser. And I should mention also that uh, your book, uh, The Battle for the Soul of Islam, is a terrific read. I just encourage our listeners uh, to to get a copy of it. So, Dr. Jasser, right now, uh, apparently this administration, the Biden administration, is uh, working out a deal with Saudi Arabia to uh, mend fences and to build a relationship with Israel, kind of a, a pact, of, a mutual uh, pact of uh, protection. Uh, maybe you could tell us about and give us your thoughts. Yeah, 
you know, let's uh, unpack that a little bit because there's different components of it. First is the Israeli-Saudi connection that is trying to build on the success from the Trump administration of the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords had four countries, including the Emirates, uh, Bahrain, and others that uh, signed a a new deal with Israel that basically recognized uh, wholly, without exception, the existence of Israel and, and began business relations and economic uh, interactions uh, that were just uh, unprecedented in the last 100 years, uh, or 80 years, I should say, uh, in the Middle East uh, with Israel and Arab nations. And now they're trying to move forward with that uh, with Saudi, which, as you know, uh, MBS is uh, trying to bring some economic changes. I do think the re- the reality of it for Israel is that, obviously, if you have good economic relations with Saudi, the chance of um, peace is much higher, the chance of war is much less, yeah. and um, it's progress. Now, the reality from the Saudi perspective is they do still have some demands on the Palestinian state uh, that uh, I'm not sure uh, how they're going to um, deal with when it comes to the end of the um, you know, pact, if you will. Uh, but also their ideology of Wahhabism hasn't changed at all. So in some ways, for those of us working on reform, it's simply window dressing. It is a step forward. It is a significant step forward, so don't don't make a mistake about that. Now, the other part of this uh, to unpack is the, the American component is really starting to talk to the Saudis about even helping them possibly get nuclear weapons and, and nuclear energy and other things. So, you know, they, the Saudis certainly see that as positive. Um, I see it as, as sort of the other side of the coin of the weakness we've had with Iran. Hmm. Uh, it, it appears covertly the Biden administration is trying to do with Saudi Arabia and Iran what happened with India and Pakistan. And I find that very concerning as far as an arms race in the Middle East. And uh, I'm not sure I trust as much as we have economic relationships with a clear ally, Saudi Arabia. Ideologically, they're not an ally. And I thought the 20th century foreign policy has proven to be a failure when it came to working with dictators. So, you know, I, I'm not sure where that's headed. So interesting. So uh, I should have asked you at the beginning, uh, what is the uh, mission of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and, and what what are you working to accomplish? Yeah, our organization is a think tank, an activist group that believes that terrorism, uh, when it comes to jihad and radicalism, is simply a symptom of a deeper core ideological conflict between where Islamic interpretation is today and where uh, it needs to be in the future, which is to separate mosque and state. We believe the only way to defeat radicalism within the Muslim community, which is a quarter of the world's population, is to defeat the idea of the Islamic state, to defeat the idea of political Islam and all of its manifestations, whether it be al-Qaeda and ISIS and the most extreme, or even the Muslim Brotherhood. Islamic states like Iran and the Khomeinists and, and uh, other Sharia states like Pakistan. So ultimately, the, the Sharia state is our target, and we want to bring Islam through what the West went through in the creation of America. So interesting. I have so many questions have popped in my mind. I've had an opportunity to um, interview you so many different times. Your parents came from uh, Syria, as I recall. And uh, what kind of an impact did America and the idea of America have on them and, and now on you? Well, America provided them with the idea, an idea of a country that was based in constitutional freedoms in which they were able to practice their faith, to, to 
uh, have an American dream of uh, ownership, of liberty, of free markets that they just could not have in Syria. So uh, Muslim-majority countries across the world were not able to give them the ability to practice their faith like they could here in America and their personal faith. Now, Islam as a public, uh, uh, you know, legal system is not anything my parents believed in. It's, it's That's a interpretation that we had basically worked against uh, from my grandfather's time. Now, Syria is run by the Ba'ath Party, which is a militant fascist regime, and ultimately that was uh, well, the, the force that my parents had been working against and as they escaped Syria in 1966. America gave them freedom that their motherland of Syria never gave them. So interesting. So uh, right now we've got open borders. So many things going on that are deleterious to the success of the American idea. Uh, can you assess for us the threat of uh, Islamic Jihad? Is it growing? Is it lessening here in the United States? There's no signs at all that it's lessening, and, and I, I think it would be foolhardy for anybody to say that somehow because we haven't had an attack of, remember, terrorism is asynchronous warfare, and asynchronous warfare attacks when um, it's feeling cornered, feel when it feels that it needs to make a salvo publicly. Uh, there are other elements of asynchronous warfare that includes social media, uh, what we call cyber jihad. Uh, it includes uh, infiltration into this country. They're doing it uh, without without obstacles now as they walk in, and you've got folks from Iran, from uh, you know uh, other Islamist uh, movements that are just coming through and. Uh, there are, uh, I think, last count, 30-some folks that have been found on the terror watch list that somehow uh, have been known to simply just have walked in that uh, Congress and others have uh, mentioned in testimony and reports. So, you know, the reality is that uh, there's more of a threat than ever. Uh, there, If you ask and talk to the Joint Counterterrorism Task Forces, they'll tell you that uh, they're busy following elements of uh, what remains of ISIS, what remains of uh, what's growing as part of Al-Qaeda in the Arab Peninsula and in Africa and elsewhere. So uh, I, I would, would hazard that anybody should be complacent about the reality of the Islamic Jihad. So Dr. Jasser, uh, can you comment then about uh, our, what you see in terms of the uh, policy or political reaction to this threat here in the United States? <laughs> well, well, terrorists around the world are, are, are seeing the Biden administration just give $6 billion to the world's largest financier, the world's largest source of Islamic terrorism, which is the Iranian regime. Uh, the, the Iranians uh, just a, a couple days ago um, gave us lectures from our own soil in New York uh, where Khamenei held up a Quran and kissed it and said that uh, no one will ever... No one will ever burn this and, and uh, desecrate our Quran, or they will pay a price. So he's making threats on our soil, received $6 billion in cash freed up from South Korea banks, and otherwhere by, by us getting back five of our prisoners that were there. And that's simply ransom. The current commander-in-chief is paying ransom to terror and in order to release our citizens, and they're going to continue to do more. It's going to, as much as I, I love more than anybody else, to, to get our citizens back. Uh, we, we're supposed to not be the power that negotiates with terrorists, but rather makes them pay a price right. and makes them fear us rather than <clears throat> us being 
rant, you know, giving them ransom. So I don't think that's sending good messages to those coming across our border on the Islamic Jihad. Absolutely. Again, Dr. Zudi Jasser, uh, founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. The website is AIFdemocracy. I think that's it. AIFdemocracy.org. AIFdemocracy.org. Also, the author of a terrific read. I'll hope, I hope you just take a look at it. It's called the, uh, the Battle for the Soul of Islam by Dr. Zudi Jasser. Doctor, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. He also has his own podcast, uh, and uh, just uh, just a very inspiring individual. I just really appreciate it. He, he actually is uh, responding to that call that I made in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, so it's pretty early in the morning. I really appreciate his contribution. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Clerk Crystal Kinzel, she is their clerk of courts here in Cuyahoga County. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? I'd like to welcome aboard uh, new advertisers. We have Matt and Megan Chionis there with the Gulf Coast International Properties and do a terrific job. If you're going to buy or sell a home, I would just encourage you to give them a call. 269-5310. That's 
269-5310. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with our Clerk of Courts, Crystal Kinzel, here in Cuyahoga County. Uh, Clerk Kinzel, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob, for having us. Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, I bet you there's a lot of folks that have some questions about what the Clerk of Courts here in Cuyahoga County does. Maybe you can tell us about it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We're one of those backroom shops that people often don't understand. Um, we have three primary roles, clerk to the courts. We handle everything from domestic violence injunctions, all the court records, calling jurors. Uh, our second role, was, but as important, is the comptroller role. We handle all of the payroll payments for the supervisor of elections, the Board of County Commissioners, and the clerk's office. We're responsible for the investment of all the funds, which the board has just approved a $2 billion budget. Mm. And uh, we handle also the investment and financial reporting on anything that we do have by way of debt or um, requirements by the state. And then third, um, we're the keeper of all your property records. So if condominium associations need information, their documents are recorded. We have all the land records. And I'm very proud that this year, to celebrate our centennial, we have actually digitized all 100 years of Collier County's property records. So you can find that all on CollierClerk.com. Well, thank you so much for that clarification. Just on that last point, uh, with the digitization of uh, records, does that create uh, more vulnerability to cyber fraud and cyber attacks and uh, you see all these commercials about uh, people could uh, take your property, get second mortgages, and so forth. Oh, well, thank you for that opportunity, Bob. Yes, definitely. Um, That's why we have implemented a fraud alert system, free to the citizens of Collier County. And um, you can go online, and you can register the documents that you have recorded. And if anything impacts those documents, you'll get an email from us. And that will give you an opportunity to immediately address something whether it's a lien on your property, whether it's an attachment to your deed, hmm. um, any of those activities, you would be notified by email. So what is the uh, uh, website for that? Callyourclerk.com. Call your, it's called The Risk Alert. The Risk Alert, callyourclerk.com. So uh, one thing you brought up, of course, is the budget and uh, what's happened to the Collier County Commissioner's uh, you sound, sounded a, a little alarmed by the $2 billion budget. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, Collier County is growing. Um, it's, it is significant. Um, the commissioners went to a rollback rate, which means that we should generate the same dollars as uh, prior years. Fortunately, however, they are looking at reserves and some other opportunities to continue to fund the things that we do need. But as we grow... Um, I'm always concerned that it's a fine balance between what's being assessed to us as homeowners and our property taxes versus what are the needs and things that we want. We want roadways. We want parks. We want those things in our community. Conservation Collier was a big topic at last Thursday's meeting. And we went into the early morning at about 2 a.m. to um, have a final vote and decision on uh, the county's budget. So we're all very conscious of spending. Um, We're trying to keep uh, keep it to a minimum. Um, I've had some issues in the past. I'm going to continue to work with the legislature this year. They were very good in uh, providing the clerk statewide with some funding, 
but we have a way to go. Um, we're, we have shortfalls across the way, as you can imagine. We're very labor-intensive. People are our business, customer service, and all of those things cost more and more. So, yes, as comptroller, I'm always worried about those things. Yeah, you know, I, you're reminding me that uh, your predecessor, Dwight Brock, had, it seemed to be even some uh, court issues with the uh, commissioners, you know, many times disagreeing with them. At least it, it got a lot of news. I was wondering if you could comment on, has that settled down now? Oh, I think so. Um, yes, there was a time when uh, the county manager, uh, at the time Jim Mudd, um, decided that he wasn't going to pay for the services the clerk provides to the board. And those include the payroll, paying, paying the bills. But by the state's constitution, we are the comptroller for Collier County. So um, Dwight was very successful in that court case, and I'm glad to report. I think we have a great relationship um, with the Board of County Commissioners, probably the best I've seen with the county manager staff. Um, the lines of communication are open. We're able to pick up the phone and say, you have a problem. They pick up the phone and say, what, what is the problem? And we work things out. So I'm hoping that continues, and um, I hope I think it will. Well, thank you for that, uh, Clerk Hensel. Can can you comment at all about uh, you? How are we doing with regard to meeting the needs of Cuyahoga County? In other words, from a, a fiscal standpoint, uh, do you have enough coming in to take care of the uh, commitments that we've got? Well, I will tell you, it it is very good news for Cuyahoga County. While I am always concerned, that's just what comptrollers do. I think. Um, we're healthy. We have good bond rating. We have good debt rating. Um, would like to see the debt paid down a little bit, but we have great reserves. Um, you know, we've sustained hurricanes now frequently, more frequently than I would like, and we are able to fund even the recovery of those until such time we can get FEMA. So I think the citizens are in good shape. Um, probably the biggest concern from uh, the fiscal standpoint is sustainability. When we build the parks, we need to maintain them. When we build the roads, we have to maintain them. And those are some of the ongoing costs that you have to balance with the needs of the population. So um, that, that, that's my primary concern, but, but Collier County is very healthy. Well, that's so good to hear. You know, uh, I, I do recall seeing uh, a meeting of the commissioners uh, where there were concerns, some of these issues about maintaining parks and so forth came up, and there was a, a genuine groan among the commissioners <laughs> having to yeah. deal with this issue. So uh, do, do you think we're dealing with it appropriately? Well, um, you know, I never like to raise taxes, and I never uh, want to spend too much, but we do have an infrastructure to maintain. Yeah. And I probably would have liked to see millage neutral, simply so we could get at some of these backlogged maintenance items. Yeah. But I understand where the board's coming from, and we're going to be working with the county staff to look for every nuance and saving to make sure we get both things done. Outstanding. So we'll see how that works in 24. Let me see if I get this correctly. So basically they're saying they wanted to keep taxes the same as they were, so they reduced the millage rate. Is that how that worked? And were they um, Well, right. In other words, you have a growth of the community. So even if you keep the millage rate the same, uh -huh. you will earn more money because of that growth or right. projected growth. What they did is roll back to get the same amount of money as last year. Now, they did not roll back in some of the MSTU and the advisories, which are good for those entities because their specific purpose 
like lighting, and um, those have advisory boards of their own that tr- really watch yeah. what they're buying and spending. Um, but in the general fund, they did roll it back. Clerk Crystal Kinzel, again, uh, clerkofcourts.com. Did, you, did I get a card? Clerkofcourts.com? Well, it's callyourclerk.com. Call your, callyourclerk.com. I really appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, Bob, for having us anytime. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now an author of Murder Mysteries. They are really terrific. We're going to visit with Jim, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Sizzle Dining is running through the 27th of September. Uh, 55 restaurants in the Naples area alone are participating. One dollar of every lunch or dinner purchase goes to blessings in a backpack of Southwest Florida. So uh, take advantage of it. See some of these restaurants that you've perhaps never been to. You can find all about all of it. At sizzledining.com. Sizzled, and by the way, uh, Blue Provence is participating. They're wonderful restaurant. Sizzledining.com. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of some great murder mysteries. His first book, uh, I should say novel, was uh, Follow the Leader. Its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel and its latest novel is No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's wonderful to be here, Bob. Thank you, Jim. So, well, uh, Biden is running substantially behind uh, Trump, uh, apparently a 10-point differential in one of those liberal polls put out by the Washington Post, if I'm not mistaken. 
wanted to just get your thoughts. Yeah, well, first of all, that's funny because that poll caused such consternation on the left. You know, the University of Virginia has a, a, a famous political scientist named Larry Sabato, who I worked with for years, and he's become extremely partisan. He's no longer clinically detached. You know, you know so everything... And I'm a never-Trumper, but, but I mean, Larry just uh, is livid if you mention his name. And so he says that the poll was an outlier. It can't possibly be true because all the other polls show Biden and Trump in a, in a dead heat. And I would say, uh, Larry, uh, get out and talk to the public. I don't think the poll was necessarily great news for Trump. Yeah, I think it's horrible news for Biden. I think the people who are answering the polls are trying to send the Democrats a message that we are in tremendous economic pain, and you got to get rid of this guy. Uh, we don't want him anymore because he's ruining our lives, and the, the Democrats just don't get that. You know, you know, they keep their their apologists keep saying there's. The public has a screw loose because inflation is slowing down. Uh, people are working. There are lots of jobs. You know, you know what's wrong with the public? Well, let me let me uh, just to give a quick interpret. Price uh, inflation is slowing down basically means prices are going up more slowly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is just it's an anathema to the success of the American uh, uh, public. So when it, you know, so when I go to the store now, yeah, I'm a wealthy guy, you know, um, and I'm being pinched now. I'm the type of uh, person who doesn't really have to worry about his spending, uh, but I have begun to worry about my spending because prices are so elevated. Number one, and you pick up the papers like there's an article. In one of the papers today that the, the New York Times, the Liberal Times, the average cost now of operating an automobile is $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And if you were, um, you know, a young guy, you know, maybe working a minimum wage job and you had saved, you could afford $23,000 for a car. A year ago, you could get a, a 2019. If you try to go out and buy a used car today, you can only afford it. 2016. I mean, so, you know, you know, people with family, even though they're working, uh, their wages are not keeping up with the uh, prices in the grocery store at the gasoline pump, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, and it's just pure torture for the people. So, well, so, uh, so riddle me this, Jim. Uh, the f fact of the matter is the American people are unhappy and most people don't want to see Biden on the ticket next year. What the heck is going to happen? Are they going to pull a rabbit out of a hat and somehow come up with a new candidate? Well, you would think so. I mean, all the liberal papers have been agitating for the past two or three weeks for Biden to step down. I mean, and, and I suspect that people on Biden's own team are sabotaging him. I mean, you know... I feel badly for the guy. I mean, it's funny when he goes to the United Nations and walks into a flag. It's however, pathetic. <laughs> He's pathetic. Yeah. It's sad. However, I, I have relatives who have slight dementia, and I know they're being tortured, yeah. you know, because 
these people see that uh, they're losing skills and abilities that they once had, mm. and it's it's so painful for them. And so if he's going through that, and I think he is, he can't possibly govern. Uh, and I think the public appreciates that as well. Um, but he shows no signs of stepping out of the race. Uh, he... You know, he'd have to step out, I think, before the primary season in, in uh, March of next year. Hmm. So, so, the, so the window for him for ducking out is short. And, and let's say that in the beginning of the primary season, he gets, he gets massacred in South Carolina where he thinks he will do well. Um, who's going to replace him at that point? Kamala Harris is her... her Popularity is 53.3%, according to the, or her unpopularity. 53.3% yeah. of the voters view her uh, negatively. Uh, Biden is at 54.6%. So she's only a point behind uh, Biden. So, so I, I, have, I have this question then, Jim. Uh, the pick of the litter, in my opinion, is RFK Jr. Why, why do the Democrats hate him so much? And because you know, because of um, his position on the uh, COVID vaccines, you know, they think you know they accuse him of uh, spreading this information. You know, some of some of the information he, I've read his book. Some of the information he sp he spreads is false, uh, but his overall arching theme is that we were misled by the FDA as to the uh, efficacy and, and the dangers posed by the, the drug. So his, his overriding argument, I think, is solid, but some of his supporting data is questionable. Hmm. But, but, it, but the Demo he sounds too much like uh, Trump for the Democrats. And, uh, is that what it is? So, because he has some pretty liberal, I mean, he has some ideas that I, quite frankly, are just unpalatable. It's... But, uh, you know, he is he, clearly... he appeals to Trump voters, so that turns off the, Demo you know, the hardcore Democrats. I mean, uh, the, the Democrats have a, a hardcore left. Yeah. So they have, you know, we always read in the paper about the nutty Republicans in Congress that are, that are controlling the party. But the Democrats have a left wing core that's that's doing the same thing to their party well i'll, and, say, I'll say this yeah when actually robert j rfk jr uh is uh, just head shoulders above any other democrat in, in public life that i'm aware of anyhow and i must you know if we had to have a democrat running the country i must say he would be my choice not some of these other people that quite frankly ad hominem attacks is about all they've got they have no concept of reality or policy. So, I yeah, I heard him on the radio one time. I didn't know who it was. I just knew it was a uh, somebody went to the border and saw firsthand what was going on, and then it turned and it, and it was just a, a a very interesting, informative commentary about the problems at the border, and it turned out to be Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So, so, so he's he, he's so articulate. He uh, is charismatic, so I agree with you that he could he could be a real threat to the Republicans. But 
he just doesn't have uh, his own party's support because yeah, for the sure. lefties don't like him. Jim, I just appreciate so the, this this conversation. So I wish we had more time to pursue it, but of course you're going to be back next week, so we always look forward to that as well. Jim McTagg, again, I just encourage you to take a look at his books, his latest, No Problem, a great murder mystery. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly Learned a lot. It was fun for me. And uh, if you enjoy the show, I hope you pass the word on to your friends uh, and let them know about it because it's one of the ways we can support our advertisers and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>